Welcome to A Dying Podcast. Uh, my name is, as always, Nils. And today I am in Los Angeles, uh, sitting in a tiny, very comfortable room uh, with well, sort of a bench in between us, I guess, with Amy Dublay. <laughs> yes, it's actually a massage table. It's a massage table. So yes. the microphone is, is placed on a massage table. Uh, you might hear, so, hear some LA traffic leaking through the window. Yeah, you hear it right now. Uh, the window is actually closed, but it's LA traffic. Yeah, motorcycles. It's LA traffic. It's the way it is. And, uh, and you uh, are a somatic experiencing practitioner. Yes, that is my my title. My my practice actually involves many different mod- modalities, but primarily my work is in of the somatic. Somatic simply means body. So the bo- I work with the body. Somatic experiencing was founded by Peter Levine, and he's been in practice over 40 years. So what he's done is he's shown how we get stuck in survival programs like a fight, flight, and freeze. So oftentimes when we're shocked or on a more minor continuum startled, we might get stuck in one of these programs that are meant to be time limited. So say you got winded when you were two by a basketball and maybe not two, maybe, maybe eight. And you're playing basketball for the first time. You get winded. You don't know that feeling. You don't know what that is. It shocks you. It scares you. Mom's not around to soothe you. Um, The body has memory. So you go through life with that somatic memory that's not becomes non-conscious but there's this lack of safety that starts running the show and the more that we get coupled with events that happen like that the more um we're not able to be fully present in the here and now so i work with people in being able to uncouple these kinds of events or god forbid single events that are horrible and what we might call traumatic um, peter Levine doesn't call trauma an event, he really uh, defines trauma as um, how our nervous system is able to respond in the moment. So if we have a single event that was traumatic, um, it's really impacts our ability to respond and, and how we hold that energy or kinetic force if it was an impact from a car accident in our physiology. So what I do is um, speak to the narrative of the soma. And we have cognitive narratives and we have somatic narratives. So I really work with that somatic narrative. Which is like a, a body-connected narrative. Anyway. Yeah, somatic just means body. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Exactly. And, and I ended up here because you have helped two people that I know and love. Uh, and they both told me, like, this is amazing. <laughs> this is like, it really helps. And it really helps quickly mm-hmm. uh, in the way mm-hmm. I understand it. But before we, like, go into that, I'm just curious to learn, like, how... How, who are you and how did you end up doing this thing? Ah, good question. I think like every healer, you know, we have our journey, we have our path. And along the way, we figure things out. For me, I've, you know, spent a lot of time in freeze and dissociation from not an abusive family dynamic, but a neglectful one. My parents were both professors. My sister's a Rhodes Scholar. I come from a highly academic, you know, your mind is everything. Your your body just carries around your, your head kind of family. So I was definitely an outlier, uh, you know, in the sense of I followed my heart, you know, listened to Joseph Campbell without even knowing who he was. I followed my bliss from an early age coming out of the womb that way. I was uh, very much different than my family didn't fit in in that sense. So 
Having said that, my parents being, you know, we come from a society of very much doing, right, even now. Um, they, they were working on their dissertations. They didn't really have time to manage a little being. So I was left in those playpins and, and, you know, to my own devices. Nowadays, we call that neglect. Back then, they just thought that your, their child was just entertaining itself, right? Um, not so abusive, but without that face-to-face and touch, tactile, playing with your baby, you know, our neocortex it gets delayed in its development. So, and we also get, get a deadpan-ish sort of quality to us. And that's what happened to me without me even knowing it. Like I really had to fend for myself. Even growing up, I was taking care of my sister at a really young age. I was, you know, six and she was three. And back then in a small Canadian town, it's not horribly dangerous. But if you think of your three-year-old in the care of a six-year-old, Maybe not so not so intelligent, right? Yeah. So so having this lack of um, touch and lack of connection and engagement, it really um, truncates the development of the brain that, that we're finding out now more and more, right? So as I grew up, I found that I was more on the dyslexic continuum, slower in school, didn't do so well on. Um, wasn't able to have much of a capacity for socialized learning. You know, but I had really strong kinesthetic understanding, really a lot of emotional intelligence, empathy. Um, so I found myself more in the creative arts uh, side of things, became an actor and hence living in Los Angeles. I uh, moved here 20 years ago and uh, then to make a living. Oh, yeah, that. <laughs> so, that part of it, the struggling actor. <laughs> the living life outside of being an artist. So what am I good at? Oh, I'm good with my hands. I'm good with people. You know, I became a professional makeup artist, became a tour manager. And then I thought, but what do I really, what's my puzzle piece in life? You know, it's, it's not being the center of attention. It's not, it's not, you know, all these other things. That's not who I am. But what do I really love to do? And it was to help people. And so I went to massage school and I became a body worker, um, polarity therapy, cranial sacral. And then I thought, but these people's tension patterns keep coming back. And it's clearly more than structural and physical. And there's an emotional component. What about that? And I started really digging into these other modalities that started surfacing around the psychological um, world that weren't necessarily academic and straight. I didn't need to have a degree. Let's just put it that way. And so uh, I was very lucky in in finding instructors that are are clinical and and come from the world of psychology, but they were willing to take me on as a student, including Peter Levine's uh, work in somatic experiencing, but also Larry Heller with NARM, neuroaffective relational um, model, and uh, Steve Hoskinson's with his organic intelligence. So I've got this background with a really strong clinical understanding of the developmental process. So it's not just shock trauma, but it's developmental trauma that I'm working with and these states of development and what happens. And to make a long story short, I really got into it because it's what helped my neocortex develop and catch up to the maturity that I was, that I was in. I was, you know, coming uh, from this place of not having a lot of um, social engagement and interaction. And it really truncated my, my, mental growth and and so this work really helped expedite me into an adult and really change my intrapsychic world so technically it's not psychological but it really is the body and mind are so intertwined and my whole intrapsychic world and how i spoke to myself and and how i spoke to others completely changed in the in the course of this work through the body 
um, not so critical, not so judgmental, um, not so critical of myself or others. And my whole world changed and I wanted that for others. So, wow. Yeah. Was there like a moment? Cause it, you know, evidently you sort of realized how your own past had yeah. made you who you are. And then, you know, understanding why yeah. was there, can you remember a moment when that happened? Like in your training, you're like, Oh, oh okay. So that's why. <laughs> yes. Yes. Very clearly. Um, I was in a training and I was the demo and I remember there were 40 people in the room. My instructor was asking me how old I felt and I'm, what does she mean? And all of a sudden I was like, two, I feel two. I feel like I'm two and I'm having a tantrum. This really sucks. Oh my God. 40 people are watching me. Okay. And then she asked me another question. She said, Amy, do you realize how deadpan you are? And I looked at her trying to process what that meant, feeling like I'm too very confused as a two-year-old would. And I looked out at the audience, you know, at my, my colleagues that I've actually known for quite some time. So there's a lot of trust there. And I looked out at them and I said, am I deadpan? Really? Like, is there no, nothing going on here? And they all looked at me and I saw this collective nod and I'm just like, what? Are you serious? As animated and outgoing and as crazy as I am, are you serious? I'm deadpan. And they all just were like, yes, Amy. And I looked at her and I said, oh, okay. What's that about? And she said, well, I'm guessing that you have a history of neglect, that it might not have been a purposely malicious on your caregivers, parents, whoever took care of you's part, but I'm guessing there's probably a lack of interaction there somewhere. And this is what happens. You know, our digestion shuts down. Our, it's called, um, actually, Stephen Porges' polyvagal theory talks a lot about this. It's the 10th cranial nerve that comes out of the face and down the neck and into our gut. And it communicates with the heart. It's pretty complex, but to make it simple, it's our, also our social engagement system and the, our ability to have capacity for relationship, our ability to, to, to stay in relationships with others and um, to have some kind of feedback loop, right? Well, mine was pretty much not there according to my teacher and all my colleagues. And, and, and having um, witnessed that and how much in the months preceding my life changed because after we identified that, at least intellectually, she proceeded to finish the demo with me. And I felt for the first time this light come on deep inside my gut and chest. And it was like, wow, this is what it's like. You know, this is what it's like to truly be connected. And, and, and it's so beautiful. It's like, wow, I'm feeling this for the first time at like 28 years old. Wow. Wow. And, and so this is why I do what I do. And I, I like to say that maybe it's egotistical, but, you know, we're changing the world one nervous system at a time. Right. And, uh, and the ability to have that kind of connection and to feel safe from the inside and, um, you know, neuroscientists are calling it interception of safety. So they write all these beautiful papers about it and they have this intellectual knowledge of it. But how many of us get to really grok this experience of feeling safe from the inside? Yeah, so. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's, yeah. that's beautiful. Yeah. And, and so that I understand it. So 
the digestion system and then this sort of social connection mm. aspect, those are interrelated. Interrelated, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. yeah, it's the vagus nerve. So we have a, a dorsal nerve and a ventral, so back and front. And the dorsal uh, nerve is in charge of shutting us down. So if a tiger were mauling you, you actually wouldn't feel anything. You would be in a bliss state. Um, it may be freeze. It, most likely it would be a freeze state. But the piece responsible for that shutdown is that is that dorsal nerve. And it's the same, it's the same procedure that's involved in a mammal diving. Like when when whales dive or dolphins dive and they don't have to breathe for 20 minutes. That's we have that capacity. So we essentially can shut our physiology, the, our biology gets shut down. We don't we don't digest our food. Um, we only need enough oxygen for our brain to stay alive, for our heart to pump blood. Um, and, and so I, I see a lot of people in my practice that come in in this severe state of shutdown. And it's, uh, I call it, um, they're in conservation mode, right? So they're not really digesting their food. They're not engaging too much in life. They're pretty flat. They don't have a lot of energy. Uh, so if, how can you tell you're in such a state for anyone listening? Um, what can you tell? <laughs> Yeah, that's it's hard when you're in this closed loop system, right? To tell, uh, even when life is great and we're type A people and we got a million things going on, that's another that's a whole nother closed loop system, right? Of, of that's activation. my kind of loop. <laughs> yeah, you know, I need coffee. I need to dive out of planes. You know, uh, extreme sports. These are it's a it's a whole different loop. This activation loop is a the, you know, God forbid you have both of them at the same time. That would be like having your foot on the gas and the brakes at the same time simultaneously, which is very dangerous as well. Well, even that's the most dangerous state you could be in, which is the one I was in. You know, so um, underneath this free state is a lot of activation. So there's like this huge rev going on. I guess you youngsters don't say gas anymore. <laughs> what is it like? I guess you gotta hit hit the gas in a in a Prius too, right? Yeah. Well, so, yeah. It's not gas, but the pedal. It is. The pedals <laughs> the to the pedal. metal. The pedals to the metal. Uh, you know, for the for both the brakes and the the get it going. You know, so so that then we lead to burnout. That's what burnout is. You know, so you got the sympathetic system on high, high alert, and then you have the freeze going on at the same time. And what happens is when we get into our um, 30s, 40s, we start, our body starts breaking down and we start getting autoimmune uh, disorders. And, uh, you know, the physiology is just burning for so long, a lot of times for people since birth or, or childhood into their 30s, 40s, their body starts breaking down, they get autoimmune issues, uh, the doctors aren't able to diagnose them or they call it chronic fatigue or fibromyalgia or all this autoimmune stuff. Wow. Yeah. So it's like, to me, it's, it, it, it makes perfect sense, but it's sort of a field that I haven't really heard of right. before. It tends to be like you treat the mind or the body and, and like not seeing that very obvious connection. <laughs> right. And unfortunately, the people that treat the mind, they don't know how to treat the body. So they give them psych meds, right? Or mood stabilizers or SSRIs. And um, well, maybe they just need to uh, externalize all that rage into healthy aggression, right? So 
uh, as opposed to stuffing it down with meds. And, you know, although having said that, I've worked with some brilliant psychiatrists and I've seen meds do wonderful things for people too. Uh, so I'm compl- not against them at all. Yeah. Um, if people can be stabilized to a place where they can actually do some work and then come off them. And I've had experience with that in my practice as well. Okay. Uh, and you just, you just uh, used the expression healthy aggression. Yes. So what is that? Healthy aggression. Everybody is going to have their own version of that because their nervous system is unique to them. But what happens, well, let's just take depression. So it's, it's depressed energy, that energy being anger, although not so much anger, more like rage, because anger is actually healthy. You know, it's, it's very healthy to be angry. There's nothing wrong with anger. Uh, it's mobilizing. You know, anger can get, get us to take action. Rage is more dysfunctional, right? So healthy aggression is turning that rage into, into anger and then mobilizing it so it's not internalized and shoved down, either repressed or suppressed. So that looks different for each one of us. First of all, a lot of us have to feel safe to be able to have anger and, and have the containment to express it. You know, so, so that's a whole process uh, of work. It could take a couple months. It could take 10 sessions. It could take two years. With, you know, some people I've worked with for, with for a couple of years before they could even allow themselves to admit that they had anger because you know, it's so scary. And what a lot of us are doing in life is uh, taking precautions to protect our attachment relations at, at all costs, right? So... So if I ever dared get angry at my mom, she would abandon me more than she already has, right? Or I actually rely on this person to feed and clothe me, so I better not act out. So and, and what is... So anger is obviously a complicated topic, at least in my mind, because even if I manage to, to, to like admit to myself that I have anger and I find ways to let it out, yeah. then... How do I let it out in sort of a healthy way? Because if I let it out, then there'll be people around me that will probably, you know, be impacted by this anger. And how do I know that they can actually, like, embrace that anger in a healthy kind of way? Right. How do I know that? And how do I, how do I communicate anger? Well, good. Well, the first thing would be to not make an assumption about anger. Like anger coming out is 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 going to look a certain way, like an outburst, right? So um, not making assumptions. Um, if you're going from zero to 60 with anger, that's that's what I'm assuming is the assumption that you're making, right? In terms of like, it doesn't look good. Uh, people are going to Like, oh, yeah, react to it. React to it, and so so that's com- that's complex. It's a formula, right? Some of it has to do with you, and some of it has to do with the person receiving and with their relationship to anger, right? So even the most benign expression of anger might be, "Hey, Nils, like that's not appropriate. You just came into my room and put your computer down and your microphone on my ma- massage table, and I have a client. Like this is not this is not the time and place for this, right? That's healthy aggression. Um, I might be angry." but I'm not biting your head off. And I'm certainly not going from zero to 60 in two seconds, right? So- And you're also using sort of nonviolent communication in sort of- Absolutely. Letting your anger out. Absolutely. So being authentic to how I feel or, you know, hey, this behavior, not you, but your behavior is upsetting me. Um, could you please? That would be the nonviolent communication model, right? But more than anything, it's, it's coming from a place of honesty, but also love. But at the same time, when you're angry, you might not be coming from love. And that's okay too. 
so so that's that's where it becomes complex in the sense of not needing to protect the person receiving your anger. Right? That's where we get that's where we get into stuffing and repressing and 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 or suppressing. Um, so to be able to be true to yourself, be kind in the expression, but also taking time to not express your anger when you're feeling that impulse, when you're feeling that impulse that might be stemming out of rage or misplaced anger, that's not the time. The time is to come back and be rational because you're now in your animal brain. It's not rational. Okay. So, so then first, you're going to explode. Okay. So first you need to sort of identify it, internalize it, and then know how to deal with it, not just like instantly react to it. Yeah. If you're, if you're, if you're instantly reacting then you're not being responsible. To me, responsible is response-able. You know, what, it, what is your response in this moment? And if it's going from zero to 60 with upsetness, then you're probably not in your rational mind. And you probably need to go, okay, I am enraged right now. This, this isn't okay, but let me just step back and take the time I need to process it. And then I'll go back to the person and express how that made me feel. And, how that's not okay and what I need in the future. So that's obviously a sort of a simple thing to say. Yes. But once yes. you're in that moment, how do you actually succeed in, in doing that? So when you're in that moment, that's exactly what I educate people about. That moment is already over threshold. You're already activated. And like if you're, you know, you get panic attacks and you're in your panic attack, it's already too late to manage it, right? So you know that that's going to be time limited. Okay, I'm really pissed right now. I want to bite your head off, but I know that I still love you in 10 minutes, I'll be hugging you, right? So to, to, to see if you can get into your rational mind and what needs to happen, like, okay, I feel that impulse building up. Like I just want to, let me just walk away. Let me change the environment. Let me when's my birthday, you know, and get into that cognitive mind because you're actually in the animal mind when you want to explode. Okay. So you want to, you want to sort of remind yourself to just think about something else sort of in the moment. Like just, let me just focus on this thing. So I don't get stuck in this loop of emotional reaction. Yeah. It, it, it depends on each person because some people are like, no, I'm mired in this place. I'm just so upset. And that's okay too, as long as you don't communicate from that place, right? Um, the whole, it's so complex because everyone's so different and what's driving that is different for each person, right? So I can give you an example, you know, from my personal yeah, life. Um, I was with somebody that was just so uh, intensely angry. And I was, before I found this work, I was so intensely fearful of anger. And I would just check out of my body. I'd be completely gone, like no one's home. And he would just yell and scream and, and it would escalate, it would escalate. Thank God it never escalated to physical abuse, but it was emotional abuse, right? And, and I'm probably on each of our parts now that I know the, the cycle. And the cycle is, I'm trying to be heard. Will you please hear me? I don't want you to leave me. Don't abandon me. Listen to me. I need to be heard. And I'm going, oh my God, I can't handle this. Uh, I, I can't even stay present. This is so scary. This is annihilation. I got to leave. And, and so that we're, we're triggering each other and we're, neither of us are in the present. We're both completely triggered and in our child bodies. And this person wants to be seen and heard. And I want to push everything under 
the rug and disappear because that's what I learned how to survive. And this person was never seen or heard. So yeah. we're just it a vicious circle, a vicious circle. And so when I found this work or actually just before I found uh, SE, I was able to communicate and say, hey, when you scream, I'm not even present. So you are talking to a wall. You're absolutely right. I can't hear you. Like it, it, it's 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 not even worth it. And and then he was able to communicate. Oh, well, if we could just resolve this, I'll be okay. If you could just hear me, I'll be okay. It's like, okay, but I can't do that right now. So then when I was able to communicate, like if you just give me five minutes or tomorrow at lunch, we can talk, he would be okay with that because he would know that there would be resolution. And I would be able to get my faculties together on what was bothering. Because remember I said before, my neocortex was just a little truncated. So I wasn't able to, to think fast enough for him and give him reasons. So if I could take the time to figure out what I needed and and to be able to communicate that, then we could come together and get what we both needed. But then there's another step. And the other step was for me to have the capacity to be with anger, which meant I had to get in touch with my own anger. And so, so SE allowed me to be able to know, A, that I can be a spiritual person and very angry. And it's okay because I'm a human being. I'm laughing because that's like, yeah, that speaks to me <laughs> in a very clear way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're, hu- we're still in a three-dimensional, you know, existence. Well, maybe fourth or fifth now, but whatever you want to call it, we're human. And, and we, we still can be very spiritual and loving and beautiful people and occasionally have despair and anger and, and sadness and all these other emotions. Right. Um, and it makes us, it makes us, vulnerability makes us human. And the other piece is when I was able to become angry, I was authentically me. I was the first time I was able to be in my body. I could stay present. I could stay present with myself. I had more capacity to be in relationships with others. The best thing, Nils, is was the next time I was in it in an argument with this guy, I was able to say, I'm fucking yelling at you. I'm yelling at you. Awesome. And he's like, yeah, awesome. And then we started laughing and we never, ever had that cycle dynamic. We never had it again. It just, without therapy, I mean, we had some therapy, but it just we stopped the cycle. And sure, we had our problems and, and that's probably why we're not together anymore. But, but once I was able to, to, to see that and step away and then change the pattern in terms of what can I do differently? That's the question you might ask. Like, what can I do differently? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So that that's um, that's really inspiring to me. And, and my brain always, it's the way it works, just like looking for patterns all the time. So to me, it's sort of, and, and connecting this to my own personal experience. So that would be, um, like in my case, I'm at a point now, when I hear you, when you speaking, I realize that that's sort of what I've done in certain work situations. Yeah. When people get... Uh, angry or frustrated or agitated and there's like you know there's tension in the room then I've uh, finally managed to be able to deal with that for my own sake yeah. and and my tool which I guess is that my sort of my my rational little trick that I bring in to my own mind in those situations is to to remind myself that what we're talking about here which is whatever work-related thing project something, you know, it could be a deadline, it could be whatever it is. 
is something that's made up. Right. <laughs> that doesn't really exist. And, and to be truthful, doesn't really matter that much. Not that important. It's just something that we decided is important. Yeah. But I can also step out of it and remind myself it's actually not important. Uh, and that's my first tool. And then my second is, and th this person who's now agitated, screaming, whatever, yeah. acting out, is just scared. And uh, so I just need to stay here with this person's fear. Yeah, absolutely. But, and then where I'm, where I'm not yet, which I hear you in a beautiful way describing in that relationship then, then what I want to learn is, okay, and how do I verbalize and vocalize that? So I, I can stay here. You can scream. I know it's because you're scared. And I know it's not actually that important. It's just your fear, probably from childhood. You know, your fear of being ending up alone. Yeah. You don't want to lose your job because yeah. you'll end up alone. And that's or disappointing you. Yeah. And it's Even. the same. You don't want to end up alone. Yeah. That's basically yeah. it. And but what I wanna would want to learn even better is then to to have that process happen, like it did for you, yeah. where I can then verbalize this to that person and mm -hmm. in some way. So the next time we can even, you know, I can say, Yeah, you're scared now. <laughs> and yeah. that person would be able to say, Yes, I'm scared now. That would be yeah. beautiful. Because yeah. then we wouldn't have to repeat it. I feel that I'm still I wouldn't say that this is with a specific individual or group. I just yeah. find myself in these situations every once in a while in yeah. different types of work situations where there's that tension and I then know myself. So I sort of take a step back. I just sit with the fear in the room, yeah. but I'm not yet at that point where I can then just step back in and just like, yeah, make that magical thing sort of happen. And that's okay. What what I is it okay to make a suggestion? Absolutely. So what I would suggest is to maybe just track yourself as opposed to the room, right? So you know, I'm guessing you like to take care of people. Oh, yeah. Make sure everybody's okay. Yeah, caregivers. Um, and so, what about just putting yourself first and say, okay, what's happening for me? What do I need? You know, okay. Oh, my stomach is clenched, or my jaw is really tight. You know, so really track your own experience. Yeah, yeah, that's a concept. <laughs> Put yourself first. <laughs> and and you don't have to take care of everybody else. Yeah, and that's hard, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely hard. Uh, yeah, yeah. And all the guilt and the shame. So we uncouple all that. And, and then there's just you. And so, oh, I notice how uncomfortable I am when somebody else is angry. You know, because maybe I had a domineering dad that just screamed at me, which I did, which is why I was so so uncomfortable with anger, right? So until I had the capacity to sit with anger, I couldn't help myself or anybody else. You know, how many therapists, you know, just go dead in the face of an angry client? And I'm like, yes, that's awesome. Anger. Yeah, wow. anger. Oh my God, we all run from it. Yeah. yeah. And to, uh, to so my personal experience is sort of the opposite. I grew up with more or less complete absence of anger. Not complete absence, yeah. but like, never real anger in my family everything's just working smoothly yeah. and then when i in in relationships later in life started to face anger i, I would just run, run away from it yeah absolutely. didn't know how to handle it it was scary it was the unknown sort of yeah become much better at that though but okay wow and and in um so when you work with a client i'm i'm curious to because obviously this is working sort of like magic based on the little <laughs> data points say. yeah that based on what i'm hearing and 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 from people i i know know and love and trust uh but like with these two individuals they have very different uh challenges and since this is sort of how do you how do you 
figure out how do you where do you start with a client? How do you figure out like okay, yeah, how does that work? <laughs> well, luckily, because it's not a cognitive narrative that I work with, it is a somatic narrative that I work with. I'm not figuring out anything. So whatever whatever it is is what I'm listening to. So I consider myself a professional listener, in fact. So when somebody walks in, you know, working with a, a three-phase model, as one of my instructors uh, taught me, is the assumption that people are coming in, something's out of control in their life, right? Whatever aspect, doesn't matter. I don't need to, them to define it. That's the beauty of this work. So they're coming in, something's out of control. Uh, there's this doingness that happens, whether it's techniques, self-awareness, the stuff that we actually do top down or bottom up, meaning the mind or the body. And then you can just be. So it's out of control, in control to this being, letting go. Right. So that's that free three phase model that I, I work under. So I'm assuming that people are coming in. There's something wrong. Something's not right. There's this constant attention to what's wrong, what's not working. I'm not going on an archaeological dig like like the normal cognitive therapies do and what's wrong it's actually the opposite what's right and and sometimes this is an implicit conversation so when i do i do work with touch and when i work and people are on my table versus when we're face to face and working more in the classical um, therapeutic model when they're on my table it's more of an implicit conversation so what's right is oh you get to co-regulate off of somebody that maybe a little more regulated than you hopefully or, or much more regulated than you. So then our systems get to ping off each other, which is what they do with newborns, right? And up until we're two, we don't have the capacity to self-regulate. So when you're on my table, there's this implicit agreement between our systems that, oh, you're going to come over here because this is probably more preferred. This is what it's like to feel like you can just be safe, right? And, and so, like I said, a lot of people don't have that interception of safety, what it's like to feel safe from the inside. You know, going back to my my story of why I got into this and, and feeling that for the first time and true connection. You know, huh. So it's basically, you basically create a safe space and a connection and yeah. start listening from yeah. there. Sort of. Well, I listen from the moment people actually make the call. I, yeah. I believe that, that whatever happens from the time that people contact me to the time they get here is all important. So a lot of, only two times in eight years, somebody hasn't been able to find me. But I found that very fascinating. Like how disorganized is their life? How dissociated are they? You know, they, they don't find my address, which is relatively simple for the thousands of other people in eight years to find, right? Or are they not able to contact me on the, the, the gate code? Yeah, you know? but I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> and then how did you what? respond? Yeah. I was like, I was walking around the house. I'm like, I, 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 I definitely blame myself. I was like, there's something that I'm not figuring out here. So, so for, for people listening, I got, I got, um, the number 34 that I was supposed to call yeah. the, like the intercom. And, and there, that was it, my fault. Yeah. It, it ended up being your fault, but there, it even wasn't the number 34. And we called like the, the, um, there's like a, I don't know, the uh, manager of sort yes. uh, at the building. And that person was like, you got to contact that whoever you're trying to meet because this this number doesn't even exist. Right, <laughs> yeah. right. And it took, me, it took me some time to figure that out. Yeah, it took you some time. <laughs> and then you had to make a long distance call to me. But yeah. my question, if you were a client, would be, what, what, what was your emotional state? How did you respond? What were you going through? What this is you- interesting. Yeah, so to me, that's, that's stressful. 
stressful. Yeah, I really, um, there's something that I've had all my life. It's like, I don't, it's changed because now I actually end up being late quite often. But when I was young, yeah. that was the worst thing that could happen. Mm -hmm. When I went to school as a kid, I was there like 30 minutes before school started. I was always the first kid in school because yeah. I could not accept being late for some reason. And it's the same thing now. It's like, if I, I still get super stressed about and it. And so that some reason for some reason is exactly what we explore. Not in having to know what that reason is, but for some reason is probably an interdict from... From somewhere. From outside. Yeah. Yeah. That you have to be on time, that you have to be, in fact, probably perfect. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, <laughs> so, so that's the exploration. So that's why I'm a professional listener. I just listen. And so how we do anything is how we do everything. Right. So our nervous system is always with us and it presents when people walk in the room. So I'm, I'm just trained to notice from the language of biology. You know, I see how fast the heart is racing through the carotid artery. I see the pallor of the skin and, you know, all these things, the dilation of the eyes, all these things that most people don't notice. Yeah. And so... Wow. Yeah, and do you, do you find, do you notice that all the time? Because now when you're saying this, I'm like, oh, what is she noticing <laughs> about me? And I'm feeling stressed. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're like, I, nobody's under a microscope. <laughs> yes. But that's fine, though. I mean, yeah. that's, I think no, that would be interesting if, if you're doing that. I think, you know, for most of us, when we first study something, we're not only projecting it into the world, but also onto ourselves. Oh my God, I'm a narcissist. Oh my God, I have bipolar or I'm a borderline or like, oh no, <laughs> what behavior am I exhibiting? So, so in some ways, yes. But now that I've been in my field for 20 years, I'm, I'm now capable of just being in relation with people and, and not being judgmental or looking for things or, or even with clients, it's like, you're not under a microscope. I just happen to be noticing your carotid artery or I'm not as psychic as you think I am. You actually said for some reason and for some reason we're, we're exploring. Wow. Uh, well, it's kind of, uh, I like how that means, you know, listening, which obviously is listening to more things than what the person is saying. Like, yeah. How is the person saying things and how are, how are they moving? How is the body? Like, yeah. I guess, are you tensing up? Stuff like that. Yeah. And it's kind of beautiful that you could do that just based on, in a way, very little data and what my untrained mind would be like, oh, but that's not relevant data, but obviously it is. Cause like, okay, instead of finding what's the huge problem in your life and try to solve that, you can actually just look at, okay, what happened since you stepped in the door and, yeah. and what does that actually say about your, your state right now? Absolutely. Without judgment. Yeah. You know, just, it's just information. It's just data. Right. And, and so when people are able to see the patterns without the judgment, then they're able to go, Oh, okay. Now I can notice that my belly is really clenched when I, when I can't get a hold of somebody or, and then, and that's how we can tease out all these things like including anger in a really gentle, easy way in terms of biology. Wow, that's cool. And, and I like in one of my first episodes, because I heard it somewhere and I just stole that because I thought it was beautiful. Uh, I pointed out that we're so focused on what we're doing all the time, yeah. but it's actually called a human being, not a human doing. Exactly. And I, that to me is just like, oh yeah, wow. That we're actually human beings. Being, exactly. <laughs> but we're really most of the time at least I didn't really I haven't really at least in my younger years gotten any training in how to notice my being uh, and and through this podcast actually I've, I've learned that it's 
it's the question you always ask each other. And like, when you ask each other, who are you? You always answer with like stuff you've been doing in the past. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Which is so not who a person is for two reasons. Once, because you're not what you're doing and then the past doesn't even exist anymore. So yeah. it's like that takes you out of the present and out of the being just yeah. by describing yourself like, and I, uh, I, I struggle with that because I haven't found my new narrative. So I'm still this, you know, what do you, who are you? It's like, yeah, I, in one way, I'm an entrepreneur and a creative and I do all these different things and I find it hard to define myself. But we still, everybody walks around with that type of narrative. It's just like the standard narrative is not actually answering. Yeah, exactly. Who you are in this very moment. Yes, and now you open the can of identity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is a big Those can. worms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So, um, an identity is very much tied into um, our biology. You know, it's the, the the whole identity around. If we just take one simple one, of maybe not so simple, I don't have needs. I take care of everyone else. You know, as long as everyone else is comfortable, I'm okay. Which is, you know, every identity has a shame and a pride attached to it. The pride is. I don't need anything. And the shame is, no, I really, really do need you to see me and to take care of me, you know, and, and there's shame around that need. Wow. So, yeah. And what comes up for me, this is interesting. This is one of the first conversations where I find myself actually focusing more on myself than, than my brain usually just looks at patterns from myself, but mostly like what is happening in society and, and in relationships and stuff like that. But yeah. For some reason, this is, I guess, because you're, you're, you're working with this kind of thing. But this conversation really brings up realizations in myself that I haven't really focused on before. Like you said, uh, how you react when, you know, you're calling someone and they don't pick up. What came to mind for me was that I have this, it doesn't happen a lot, but when it happens, um, uh, and the situation is when someone is disappointed in me or angry with me and like, just thinks I'm a jerk, basically. Yeah. And that tenses my entire being. And right. I, can't, I can't stand that. I, I, have, I still have like certain moments where I know that, have, that has happened with someone that I you know, barely know or have met just a few times professionally and they just get the wrong impression for some reason. But my entire body just like locks and I can't, I can't shake that. It's really hard. I can rationally tell myself, doesn't matter and they don't actually understand it and it's their fear being projected onto me but i still have that immense fear once again for some reason it's probably the perfection thing uh, that you know everybody has to like me yeah <laughs> and when, when, when they to. don't my body just like locks and i haven't really thought about the bodily reaction before i just yeah. know that i don't like it when people yeah. don't like me yeah so now you're associated to your body mind connection so this happens and I don't like it and my whole body clenches up. Yeah. Exactly. So what if you're able to object without contraction? So I object to you not liking me. Yeah. I need you to like me, but I don't have to contract around it. So basically I would put my focus into my body when that happens and, and try to just relax the body and like put my focus there or is there... Are there other tools or better tools? So this is an example for me, but I, I'm hoping this could help anyone who's listening. Yeah. 
It's a great question. And I so wish I had like a tool for every specific piece, but it's, um, it's really a matter of feeling safe. You know, when you feel safe and there's no threat response, all this stuff isn't so urgent, you know? Um, so basically from, at least from, from my paradigm, because of the work I do, if, if you're not liked, you're unsafe on some level, right? So the reason I work out of context primarily, at least in the beginning, once I've worked with somebody for a while, we can work in context. I have no problem with that, but it's not so necessary. So many things resolve out of context by simply having the ability to feel safe. And when you feel safe, it's okay not to be liked. When you're truly embodied and, and aligned with who you are and, and, and there isn't this threat response, it's okay. I know that person doesn't like me. It's okay. They don't have to. And there are people that haven't come back to my practice and it's okay. They don't have to. There's so many good therapists out there. And as a matter of fact, I've referred people to other people that I, that I know were not a match. And, um, and then there's other times where it's like, yeah, I wish that person liked me. I want to be liked by that person. So that's human too. But, but I, I certainly haven't arrived you know, and these states aren't PhDs. You know, once we have them, we always have them. So we're going to move in and out of the ability to feel safe. But do we have a wider window to feel safe? Mm. You know. So and, something else that this brings up. I'll just keep going this personal <laughs> track now for some reason. Um, um, so it reminds me of another moment in my life when that was actually the type of it wasn't that strong, but I was someone was really questioning me yeah. and my choices, uh, like very openly saying, you know, I don't think this is a smart choice. I don't understand this. And I could really feel the person didn't say, you know, I don't like you, but definitely disagreeing with a choice that I had made. And, but in that moment, I was so true. Uh, I knew that this choice is, is truth for me. And uh, I felt so safe in that moment that I actually just like, I actually just sma smiled throughout that entire interaction because I know this person is once again scared uh, and, and this person doesn't know what I know about my truth, but I know this is truth and it's fine that, you know, um, he or she does not agree with me. So that's like one moment that I can remember so and also feeling completely relaxed, no tension at all in my body. Awesome. And, and without bypassing that moment, how, how are you in your body right now as you retell it? Um, similar. So yeah. Oh, thank you for pointing that out. So when I told you right now about being clenched uh, in those mo moments, I felt my body actually not fully, but like 20% of that tension came back. And now when, when telling you about the other moment, I even noted now when I notice it in hindsight, I like, I leaned back a bit. My shoulders actually came down a bit and I felt like my belly way more relaxed. Yeah. And you get the expansion. Yeah. And, and too often we bypass these places, right? And we, we continue talking about other things or we go back to what's wrong. So my job is really to reflect these places and sit in them and, and um, overcome the allergy to pleasure. Right. So we really seem to be allergic to pleasure in our culture, in our, westernized world of mm -hmm. doing and going and getting and and um working hard and and so when we can actually just sit in pleasure we can feel more safe from this non-cognitive non-logical 
part of our brain. Wow. So, so the practice you're doing seems to me it's definitely connected to a lot of other areas. I, in my experience, meditation and yoga definitely helps, and a lot of tools I've learned there definitely helps. So, one of my favorites being just scanning through my body and relaxing body part by by body part. Yeah. That sort of always helps in any situation. Just yeah. starting from my feet and then it's like, okay, relax the feet. And then like move up the ankles, relax yes. the ankles. And then I'll end up, you know, relax the forehead. And that that yeah. That makes sense because obviously it makes sense because it makes you relax. But now I get a deeper understanding for why it actually works. I yeah, guess. well the uh, the deeper understanding is the piece that it organically the impulse organically arises from your biology. Yeah. You're not coming from the outside in. You're not, you're not uh, directing your body to relax. Because sometimes it'll just say, screw you. I'm not relaxing, right? That autonomy you'll come in and take over or because of the activation. But when you actually get that, that movement towards expansion, we like to ride that wave by witnessing it. You know, when you witness it, you're communicating to the um, hindbrain, the oldest part of our brain that controls the survival patterns. Uh, and you're saying, oh, there's no threat here. We can actually be in pleasure. It's okay. And then the sympathetic nervous system will calm down and you'll go back more into the parasympathetic, which is rest and digest. And you'll just feel better. You'll feel calmer. You'll ride that wave of expansion. But with every expansion, there's a contraction, right? It's just part of life. There's stress and there's good stress and there's bad stress. And you know, like, okay, this is a quiet before the storm, but you can also ride the storm in a really comfortable place as well without having to get sucked up into it. Wow. Okay. So what are, so I, I fully understand and respect that with each client is, is different and each case is, is different. But if we're if you were to like give some pointers or simple tools to sure. people listening, like what could one do or pay attention to or try out for yourself to sort of figure out what, what works or. So the first thing I would suggest is to use the tools I suggest or any other tools that have to do with mindfulness before you're, you're overwhelmed, right? Once you're in a panic attack, once you're overwhelmed, once you're um, furious, it's too late, right? So you just let that pass. So on a daily basis, I, I talk about orienting to pleasure. So just noticing your favorite color, a common denominator in the environment that brings your eyes favor, you know, aesthetically pleasing. And notice that. And when you're noticing pleasure, you can't feel threatened. So you're speaking to the animal brain and you're letting it know there's no threat. I don't want you to think that, just to simply notice good things in the environment, objects, color. The reason I'm saying objects and color is because we're not engaging the neocortex. We're not thinking, rational thinking. Okay. We're taking in pleasure just from an aesthetic place. We're talking to the animal brain. The animal brain is not logical. And so you're, you're communicating safety. And then your physiology will respond to the, that felt sense of safety and go, oh yeah, I am safe. So now your muscles can relax, your shoulders, your neck, your lower back. You're not bracing to get ready to take some kind of action. Wow. Before you take the next tool, I want to build on that. So something I've been doing, not knowing why, but uh, a friend of mine gave me 
like a, there's a small container uh, with a certain scent. It's actually like a perfume thing, but yeah. it's not something you wear on your body. It's just like a container you carry with you. Yeah. And the only purpose is to have something with you that you can smell every once in a while that smells nice. And I do that. Yeah, regularly. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, uh, I guess, some sort of aromatherapy. Yeah. And it, it definitely has the same effect because it gives me a moment where I'm like, okay, now my only focus is this scent. And I know it smells nice. And then I smell it in whichever situation. And it's like, it sort of takes me out of the situation in a way. Uh, but it definitely has this sort of grounding effect. Well, scent is going right uh, into the amygdala, especially if it's a scent that brings positive memories. Uh, it's associated with something good or you just like it. And so the amygdala is part of the brain that's the fire detector going off saying that there's danger, right? So if you can't remember, you can't feel like you're in danger and feel good at the same time, pleasure. It's just not possible. So your amygdala is receiving data that's saying, wow, this is great. This reminds me of my grandma baking pie. Yum. You know, there's no tiger chasing you. You're safe. You're safe. Yeah. So smell is one of the, one of the best things. What I also uh, suggest that people listen to their favorite music um, or even rhythms. So, you know, how, if you felt safe, what would that sound like? What would the rhythm be? What's the rhythm of safety to you? Or what's the rhythm of pleasure, um, um, joyfulness or, um, whatever adjective they want to use to find the rhythm of that on the continuum of good and then to listen to that kind of music. You know? So that's another thing you can do. Really tracking what's right. Like, oh my gosh, I'm in LA and I got from the west side to Hollywood in 20 minutes. Hallelujah! <laughs> that never happens! <laughs> oh my gosh, I got green light. So just the smallest, most benign thing to really celebrate, like the goodness and then, like you were saying before, to actually notice, oh, yeah, I feel an openness. My shoulders came down. You know, I feel a tingling or a warmth or um, I feel my, my butt in the chair. You know, to really orient what that goodness did to your body. And that, and that expands things. And, it, and then you feel safer. Wow. It's beautiful how these tools are so simple in a way. It's not you trying to sort of think yourself out of your challenge or find a solution that will just make everything right. It's actually just like using your senses, celebrating whatever is right in the moment and, and, and trying to like take in your bodily sensations, I guess. Absolutely. Kind of simple stuff, really. It's super simple, yet really, really hard to do. Like you said, when you're stuck in that loop, it's so hard to come out of that loop. So one of the very first things that I would suggest is just pausing. Like you realize like, okay, this is going nowhere. Let me just pause. Even just two seconds, like pause. And then being able to look around, notice what's in the environment. Is there any color in here that I actually like? Oh yeah. And then is it somewhere else? And then just taking the time to be curious and to pause is really changing those neural pathways around um, being able to be safe. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. And, and I also just want to point out that you, you know, you're a thinking guy. <laughs> no <right>? shit. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so things have got to be rational and, and we're not being rational here. We're actually talking to the non-rational, non-cognitive part of the brain. So it's super simple. That part of the brain is so dumb. It's, it's as old as lobsters. It's billions 
of years old. It does not have a neocortex. They don't even they don't even communicate on any level. The rational mind and the the neocortex and the hindbrain, oh, which wow. is also called the lizard brain or the animal brain, they don't communicate. You can't be in both simultaneously. So, wow. so which is why I say when you're um, when you have a friend that's completely freaking out, you can say, "When's your birthday?" You know, what street are we on? Because then it gets them into their cognitive mind, right? Out of their animal brain. Okay. You can't so be that's both. interesting. So, so I guess those are tools you can, this is really interesting. I think would help me and a lot of other people when you have that friend who's freaking out. So those are two things you can do. Yeah. Like ask this very non-rational question in a way. Very rational <laughs> for, for question. Very rational, but like doesn't make sense in the situation. But yeah. now I understand that it does. Okay, is there anything else you can do to like help that friend? Now you know why a lot of people look at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> so like, what is she doing? Like, what what, what, what <laughs> is she asking me? What is she saying? Because I'm not talking to your rational mind. So, or I am trying to talk to your rational mind when you are irrational, right? So there's a, it feels like a misattunement. So like, what is your birthday? What's your last name? What street are we on? Okay. Yeah. What day is it? That what day of? is it? That's when someone's having a panic attack or uh, they're just being, they're in this completely irrational place or, or they're completely uh, disorganized, uh, not so, maybe not so associative. Um, or you could put them on, like Peter Levine uses these trampolines that are just these little tiny personal trampolines. Mm-hmm. And so your body has to proprioceptive where you are in space and time. And your body is doing that so it can't, it comes out of that threat response. So when you have to proprioceptive your body, that makes you more present to here and now. So a lot of times when we don't feel safe and we're in a threat response, we're responding to something from the past or projecting ourselves into the future, right? We're not here right now. Yeah. And then, so, and what are the what other things could you do in that situation? Or is that the, the standard thing? Like, so I'm not saying you get a trampoline. No, <laughs> but <laughs> like, am I supposed to get a trampoline? No, <laughs> that's solving things. <laughs> that's more like what we might, might do in a session. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's it's really super simple. Just really hard to come out of that loop on our own, which is the benefit of having a somatic practitioner, right? To to help you get. Uh, uh, jump on some of these things so that you can your nervous system wants we we're constantly working on being in in attunement in center in harmony right our nervous systems don't want to be dysfunctional right they're they're working towards finding center and so sometimes we just need a little help you know we can't do everything on our own yeah now we're not designed to Yeah, no, we're not. There wouldn't be so many of us if that was the case. Yeah. And some of the stuff, it's just simply getting with friends and having eye contact. We were talking about the vagus nerve earlier. You know, being able to have eye contact, social engagement is the positive uh, coming up out of the dorsal shutdown is social engagement. Eye contact, smiles. We have mirror neurons. It's telling us, yeah, I'm smiling. I don't look concerned. Maybe things aren't so bad, right? (laughs) Wow. And I'm guessing physical touch makes sense too. That makes sense too. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes, you know, a friendly uh, hand around your shoulder or arm around your shoulder is really helpful to people. Wow. Cool. Is there, um, because I don't want to take too much of your time here. Is there anything else that sort of we haven't covered or that you would want to sort of bring up now that we're talking? Ah, well, we've been talking a lot about what I consider stress and overwhelm some people call trauma 
and just to make the distinction between shock and developmental. So we've coupled them a little bit together as we've been talking. I'm pretty sure your your listeners are intelligent enough to uncouple those. But I'm sure they are. <laughs> some, sometimes uh, things can be shocking and, and sometimes it's coming more out of this place of identity, right? And um, the thing I want to say is that we can be pretty well-functioning and have one little tiny thing happen and everything goes to pot, right? That's because we've just reached our limit. So, so to be able to know when to take time for yourself and self-care, self-care is such a huge thing. So hopefully people will pay more attention to their bodies and minds working together and then take the time that they need to, to, to reboot. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. And if people want to uh, learn more, or do a session? Do you only do sessions in person or do you do like online sessions too? Is that possible? So I do have a in-person practice, like I said, because I do incorporate touch in my work. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not mutually exclusive. I do have a Skype practice as well where I work with people online. Um, I also offer intensives where if people come into the city, Los Angeles, I can work with them um, three or four days. It's up on my website. Um, and I also do week-long retreats, one-on-one and very small groups. Uh, so yeah, there's a whole choice. Yeah. It's a buffet. Buffet, yes. And the retreats, are there in the LA area too or is it all over? Um, when I'm working with a person or a small group, lately I've been going to a girlfriend's property in New Mexico. She's an indigenous healer and we've been co-working uh, um, mostly one-on-one for now because she works in the ancient indigenous ways of where you would go to the village healer and work with them for, it used to be a week at a time. And so she, uh, her property has two sweat lodges on it, a life-size labyrinth, and it's just really magical in New Mexico, just outside of Santa Fe. And so we've been working, I, I do my work and she does her work. We do about four hours at least of sessions per day for five days. And uh, so there's always that as well. And uh, I'm working on uh, taking a group to Egypt, possibly India for Panchakarma. And uh, so growing, it's all growing. Wow. And uh, anyone who's interested in checking any of these things out, what's your, where, they can, where can they find you? What's the website? Sure. Stuff like that. Yeah, it's Wellness Alchemist. Yeah, because it's never just one thing. We're talking about alchemy, right? Yeah. So wellnessalchemist.com. Wellnessalchemist.com. Worth remembering and checking out thank you so much much, amy for for being on this podcast i learned so much even though you're sort of pointing out the obvious i i'm i'm deeply grateful for this uh, conversation and i can't wait to share it with with people and uh to you guys listening thank you as always for listening for being part of my process and hopefully this will now be part of your process as well in just figuring out your own life and i'll see you guys next week